So I'd like to suggest that you hold on to something because here it comes. A most unusual message. Do not pray. It was a Wednesday night roots class at Nineveh Christian Church. It was October the 7th, 2020, two years ago, one month before the U.S. presidential election. Something happened that night that shook me and still shakes me to this very day, even two years later. I was so moved by what happened that night in front of some 200 people in my class that I wrote a word from Terry to the whole church the following Tuesday, October 13, 2020. That letter to the church was later published in the Anderson News, the local newspaper. I begin today by reading a portion of that letter that I wrote to the church on October 12, 2020. This is what I wrote two years ago. A strange and significant thing happened about 13 minutes into this past Wednesday night's root class at NCC. We, the whole church, have been studying experiencing God, and we were in week number six, and the topic for that week was God Speaks. I teach the large group session in the worship center while there are several other small group sessions meeting in other parts of the campus. I was out walking around talking to people before the session began when I struck up a conversation with one of the faithful members, and I'm going to pause in my reading. Two years ago, I didn't mention his name because I didn't have his permission, but now I do, so I'll just tell you. He was in the first service. His name's Bobby Cecil Thurman, so um, I just want to bring his name out. I was meeting with one of our—I was meeting with Bobby Cecil Thurman. We began talking about prayer, and that conversation led us into having difficulty praying for our nation. I told him that I was also having the same problem. I was able to pray for the people of our nation to come to repentance. In fact, my wife and I attended the National Call to Prayer and Repentance Rally in Washington, D.C. just a couple of weeks ago. But I have been unable to pray that God would restore our nation as a whole. We talked about how this same dilemma of prayer came to the prophet Jeremiah right before God came to bring judgment on the nation of Judah. God told Jeremiah to stop praying. Stop praying for the nation because it was too late. The nation had crossed the point of no return. Stop praying for them. That conversation was specifically based on the following scripture, Jeremiah 7, 16. I'm still reading from that two-year-old letter. Pray no more for these people, Jeremiah. Do not weep or pray for them. And don't beg me to help them, for I will not listen to you. Don't you see what they're doing throughout the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? That was not a particularly unusual conversation to have with a brother in Christ. The Holy Spirit was showing us the same thing, and we shared it openly with each other. I did not find that conversation strange at all. What happens next was strange and significant. Remember, the topic for that week was God Speaks. About 13 minutes into my teaching session, God spoke through the Word and through circumstances. God spoke through the Word 
and through circumstances. I was making a random and unplanned illustration about listening expectantly for God to speak when you open your Bible to read it. At that moment, I held out my Bible and randomly opened it up and randomly read the first verse that I saw. Guess what verse it was? Jeremiah 7, 16. The same verse that we had talked about before I came up to speak. It didn't just happen once, it happened twice. I'll admit that I was stunned at how God had so powerfully and physically communicated something to me and to the church in that moment. Now, I want to show you the two-year-old, two-minute clip from that event. Watch the screen. When you pray, are you listening for God's response and direction? When you read the Bible, let me ask you, when you read the Bible, are you listening for God's direction and enlightenment? Going through the motions without any expectation will never bring your heart to the place to hear from God. So if you're reading the Bible today, yeah, I'm going to read the Bible. As for you, do not pray for those people. Actually, that is what I just turned to. As for you, do not pray for This is uh, Jeremiah 7, 16. This is kind of prophetic in itself. As for you, do not pray for these people. Do not offer a cry or prayer of their, on their behalf. And do not beg me, for I will not listen to you, God said to Jeremiah in the last days. Ooh, I think that was a prophetic moment, just this. You know why? Because I was having a conversation with the guy in the back, and that's exactly what I just told him. And he knows who he is, that we're having a hard time praying for our nation right now. And I said that I'm having a hard time too. And there was a time when God told Jeremiah, stop praying for the nation. And then I opened that up to do a silly illustration. And that's exactly what I just read. So you figure it out. Whoa, let's go back over here and see if I can start over. God speaks through circumstances. Do you believe that God will use circumstances and events around you to communicate today? What just happened a moment ago? That just random, I just thumbed through the Bible and hit something. I just did it again, same one. I'm gonna quit doing that. That's the same page. I'm gonna continue reading through that two-year-old letter. So listen carefully, I'm reading, and I'll tell you when I stop reading the two-year-old letter and come to present, okay? So what does this mean? Yes, we should continue to pray for national repentance because there are still some who will come to Christ. Yes, we should continue to do everything we can to draw people across our nation back to faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. But I am firmly convinced now more than ever that our nation, like Judah of old, has crossed the point of no return. There is now no more remedy for the nation. There is no cure for the nation as a whole. Jeremiah 30, verse 12. This is what the Lord says. Your wound is incurable. Your injury beyond healing. There is no one to plead your cause. No remedy for your sore. No healing for you. I am almost certain that some people will read this today and become angry with me. Guess what? That's exactly the same response they gave to Jeremiah when he delivered it some 2,500 years ago to Judah. Anger, but why? They wanted Jeremiah to only preach good news. 
But Jeremiah was bound by God to preach the truth. And the truth was this, the judgment of God was coming upon the nation. Today, we live in unprecedented time in American history. Our nation has crossed the point of no return. And our nation is going to experience the judgment of God. Nobody knows the when or the how, but God is clearly revealing that he will soon bring his judgment upon the nation that he established some 244 years ago. This nation has been blessed beyond any nation that has ever existed on the earth, but this nation has now abandoned God. Sin is now applauded and celebrated, and anyone who dares stand for truth is mocked and persecuted. Many churches have fallen into the darkness of sin, abandoned the word, and refused to turn back to God. The blood of some 60 million aborted babies cries out to God, while many, yes, church people, openly support the right for a woman to kill their baby inside their womb. There is no remedy for this great national sin. No election can remedy this. No Supreme Court can overturn this, and no president can stand against that which God has planned. Yes, this nation has crossed the point of no return. Yes, I will still vote. I will continue to pray and preach that many inside our nation will confess their sins, fall on their face, and cry out to God for forgiveness and mercy through the blood of Jesus. The political leaders of that day threw Jeremiah into a cistern to shut him up. They only wanted good news, but there was no good news. The judgment of God was coming, but they didn't want to hear it. Today, many preachers have forsaken the truth and followed after the world, abandoning the spring of living water and building cracked cisterns that will never save anyone. Jeremiah 2.11. Has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones? I want to repeat that. Has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones? Even though they're not gods at all, yet my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. The heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Do you know, I'm still reading from that two-year-old letter. Do you know what happened after God told Jeremiah to stop praying for the nation? God sent an invading army into Jerusalem and overwhelmed it. Many died from the battle. Many died from starvation and sickness during the siege. Those who survived were carried off as slaves to a foreign land. The nation was utterly destroyed. There was no one to save them. They had abandoned the one who saves. Their punishment was the judgment of God. The New Testament book of Hebrews gives us a warning today about the judgment of God that will come to those who turn their back on the blessed Savior, the Son of God. Hebrews 10, 29. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy 
and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Some of you will read today's word and become angry and call me unpatriotic. Some will read it and mock me as a simple-minded fearmonger. But some will read it, seek the truth, cry out to God in repentance. I cannot determine the outcome of this letter, but I am compelled by God's Spirit to write it. Only Jesus can save us. Now that is the end of the letter that I wrote to the church in October of 2020, two years ago. Now we're in the prison. And by the way, many people did become angry. After reading that in the Anderson News, I suppose even some in the church were not so happy with it as well. So here comes the question, why bring this two-year-old letter up today on the same week in October? One month before the midterm election. Why interrupt my series on 1 John, push it out, and do this message today? Why did it have to be today? Why bring it up today while something, if you've been coming here recently, you know, while something amazing is happening here at this church, there are so many people that are being baptized every week. Something's happening. There's more than a thousand people here now on Sunday morning worshiping. Our Wednesday night Bible study has 800 people. So why in the middle of all of that do I take, push out the John series and do this here now? Why? I'm hearing it again. Same thing. Same thing. What? Pray no more for these people. Do not weep or pray for them. Don't beg me to help them, for I will not listen to you. Don't you see what they're doing? That night, two years ago, we were doing a Henry Blackaby study, and in that study, it talks about how God speaks through circumstances and through His Word. And if you have ears to hear, you will hear God speak through the circumstances and through His Word. It's happening again. Circumstances have presented themselves, not once, not twice, a dozen times that brought me to stop everything and preach this message today. And I'll just give you an example of one of them, this recent issue in the school system with the LBGT stuff. It was one of the circumstances that God caused me to stop and listen, listen to him. The word of God, every time I opened the Bible, it was the same thing. No matter where I'm at, it was the same thing. He's talking to me through his word. He's talking through circumstances. So let me ask you a question. What do you think it was like for Jeremiah. Have you ever considered his perspective? What was it like to be Jeremiah, to hear those dreadful words that God would come to you and say that? I mean, isn't that the opposite of what we're supposed to do? 
that God would come and say, do not pray for them anymore. Don't beg for them anymore. I'm not going to listen to your prayers on this anymore. Do not pray. Nobody wants to hear those dreadful words from God. And nobody, listen, nobody wants to preach those dreadful words to the church or anyone today. Why did God tell Jeremiah to stop praying? This is the important part. Why? Why did God tell Jeremiah to stop praying? The nation of Judah had crossed the point of no return. There would still be opportunities for individuals. But the nation had crossed the point of no return. The nation of Judah was going to be destroyed by God's coming judgment. God's judgment was coming. It was unstoppable. Do not pray about this anymore. I'm not going to listen to you. In fact, listen carefully. It's this idea when he says, do not do it anymore. I'm not going to listen. He makes it clear. He says, if you continue to pray about this, you will find yourself fighting against God and his revealed word. His revealed word is stop. The decision is made. Stop. Do not pray about this anymore. And if you continue to pray about this, you're going to find yourself fighting against God, his revealed word. This thought in itself is very sobering to me. By, by going in a direction that could be opposing God's stated purpose and God's stated will, if you had ears to hear him say, stop, you should stop. If some of you were perfectly honest sitting in this room today, if some of you would be very honest with yourself watching online today, you don't really believe God has a point of no return. You don't believe it. In the time of Jeremiah or today, you really don't believe it. Some of you even go so far as to think in your mind that God surely has an American flag next to his throne in heaven. But I can tell you today, based on the truth and the word of God, you made that up. It's not real. So here comes today's big question. And the purpose of today's message. What was happening in Judah in the time of Jeremiah that caused God to tell Jeremiah, stop praying for them? And here's the reason. Is it possible? And I'm going to show you that it is. Is it possible that the exact same things that were happening in Judah are happening here now? Exactly the same things. Exactly. Jeremiah lived during the final days of the nation of Judah. He's called the weeping prophet for good reason. He saw the fall of a nation, God's holy people, Israel. The northern kingdom of Israel had already fallen to the Assyrians years earlier, but the southern kingdom of Judah did not take the warnings from the prophets seriously. And now it's their turn. Remember, Jeremiah is in the holy city of Jerusalem, and the holy temple is in the holy city of Jerusalem. Solomon's temple in all of its glory, in all of its majesty. And the people inside Jerusalem think, surely the temple will keep us safe. I mean, who would come to Jerusalem when we have the temple, the temple? 
Religion was there alongside of the temple of the temple. Religion was there, but it was a false religion. It's called idolatry. I'm going to broaden out the original scripture from Jeremiah 7 to show you what was happening in Judah and Jerusalem that pushed God over the point of no return. As we ask each other the question, is it here today? 2,500 years after the time of Jeremiah and the fall of Jerusalem. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the same scripture that God revealed to us in that Wednesday night roots class. You saw it on the screen. I want to reveal the same scripture, but I want to broaden it out three verses. I'm just going to keep reading three more verses on the end of that scripture that we read in that Roots class two years ago. And the reason I want to broaden it out is I'm, want, I'm trying to find out what was happening in that scene in that day that caused God to say, do not pray for them anymore. It's over. It's finished. To see if that same situation might be occurring here now, which is why he's communicating to the church that has ears to hear something's coming. So let's go back to Jeremiah 7, 16. That's the starting scripture in that two-year-old scene. And I'm going to go all the way down to verse 20. Pray no more for these people, Jeremiah. Do not weep or pray for them and don't beg me to help them. For I will not listen to you. Don't you see what they're doing? Isn't that compelling? Jeremiah, can't you see what they're doing? Throughout the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. What are they doing? No wonder I'm so angry, God says. Watch how their children, notice there's children in this scene. Notice how their children gather wood, and here come the fathers. And the fathers build sacrifice, sacrificial fires, and see how the women, we've got children, the fathers, and now women. And the women knead dough and make cakes to offer to the queen of heaven. And they pour out liquid offerings to their other gods, idol gods. Am I the one they're hurting? Asked the Lord. Most of all, they hurt themselves to their own shame. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will pour out my terrible fury on this place. Its people, its animals, its trees, its crops will be consumed by the unquenchable fire of my anger. Idolatry. I'm afraid much of the American church hears the word idolatry and you think of some golden calf in some, some place outside of Egypt and you think, well, I don't have a golden calf. They had turned away from the one true God and worshiped false gods, breaking the first and the second commandment of God. Commandments of God. You shall have no other gods except me. And you shall not make unto yourselves any image, any graven image, and you shall not bow down to anyone, anything, anytime except me. It's a commandment. It's the first two. Could anyone? So here, here do you see the context? There's idolatry. Can't you see what they're doing? Can't you see? Do not pray for them anymore. Do, can't you see what they're doing? My destruction is coming. So here comes the question. Can anyone in Judah stop this at that point? 
Can anyone intercede? Interceding is to pray. Can anyone pray and stop the coming judgment of God? Now, if you read the Bible, you read the Old Testament, years earlier, God had threatened to destroy the people of Israel on several occasions. Then Moses was always able to intercede. He would come and he would pray and turn back the wrath and judgment of God. But what about this scene? What about now? What about the point of no return when he says, stop praying? If you stop praying, there's no one to intercede. Stop. I'm finished. It's over. The prophet Ezekiel, he lived in the same time as Jeremiah. In fact, the rabbinical writings say that the prophet Ezekiel was actually Jeremiah's son. The prophet Ezekiel lived in the same time as Jeremiah, so he's in this scene. In fact, Ezekiel is the one that records the glorious presence of God departing. God's glory comes up and departs from the Jerusalem temple before the Babylonians come to destroy the city. And I want you to understand something. God, not Nebuchadnezzar, God brought the Babylonians to Jerusalem. That's why he told him to stop praying. It's decided. So let's read from them. Could anybody stop it? Is there a point in which you can intercede and, and, and that you can do something to, to hold back the judgment of God? After, after he says, stop praying? So let's see. Ezekiel 14, 12. Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, that's the title that God gave Ezekiel. Son of man, suppose the people of a country were to sin against me. And I lifted my fist to crush them, cutting off their food supply, sending famine to destroy both people and animals. Even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were there, their righteousness would save no one but themselves, says the sovereign Lord. Do you, do you see what just happened? There's a point in which Daniel, Job, and Noah would only save Daniel, Job, and Noah. They couldn't intercede for anybody else. In fact, it gets even deeper, e even more troubling down in verse 20. It says, as surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were they, there, they wouldn't be able to save their own sons and daughters. That in the judgment, God's wrath would kill the son of Noah, the daughter of Job. That there's a point in which intercession is no longer available. That even if they came, they, let me read it again. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were they, they wouldn't be able to save their own sons or daughters. They alone, it becomes singular, just individual, you and God, they alone would be saved by their righteousness. Now, this is what the sovereign Lord says, how terrible it will be when all four of these dreadful punishments fall upon Jerusalem. War, famine, wild animals, disease, destroying all her people and animals. Interesting that those four judgments that he tells Ezekiel are coming to Jerusalem are also the four judgments that he announces in the revelation that will come to the earth during the tribulation. It's called the point of no return. The point of no return had come. The wall of God's protection had been breached and no one, 
no holy man, Noah, Daniel, Job, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, no holy man would be able to turn back the wrath and judgment of God. It's too late. Yes, there will still be opportunities for individuals to repent and escape from God's judgment, but not the nation. The way of escape in the time of Jeremiah was to surrender to the Babylonians who were coming against Jerusalem. Surrender and live. So God's mercy opens a door of mercy. So God comes to Jeremiah and says this, that if anybody listens to you and anybody believes you, all they have to do is walk out of the city, surrender to the Babylonians, and I'll save their life. God gave individuals, the nation, no, the individuals. He gave individuals a way to survive the coming judgment. But the nation of Judah was going to be destroyed. Jeremiah tells the king, he tells the king, Zedekiah, how to be saved. He tells him. Now understand, this Zedekiah was the last king of Judah. He reigned for 11 years. He's the one that was king when everything finally was torn down. So Jeremiah 27, verse 12. Then I repeated the same message to King Zedekiah of Judah. If you want to live, submit to the yoke of the king of Babylon and his people. Are you with me? If you want to live, submit to that which I have announced is coming. Don't try to fight it. Don't try to fight him because I've sent him. Just submit to the king of Babylon. Verse 13, why do you insist on dying, you, king, and your people? Why should you choose war, famine, and disease, which the Lord will bring against every nation that refuses to submit to Babylon's king? Do not listen to the false prophets who keep telling you the king of Babylon will not conquer you. They are liars. This is what the Lord says. I have not sent these prophets. They are telling you lies in my name. So I will drive you from this land. You will all die. You and all these prophets too. You will all die. Now here comes the interesting part. Jeremiah reveals three different times when God told him to stop praying. When God told him, do not pray for these people anymore. Three times. Maybe Jeremiah needed to hear it three times because he's struggling with it just like I am and just like you probably are today. I've read to you the first one, Jeremiah 7, 16. This is the second one. Jeremiah eleven fourteen. Pray no more for these people, Jeremiah. Do not weep or pray for them, for I will not listen to them when they cry out to me in distress. What right do my beloved people have to come to my temple when they have done so many immoral things? Can their vows and sacrifices prevent their destruction? They actually rejoice in doing evil. I, the Lord, once called them a thriving olive tree, beautiful to see and full of good fruit. But now I have sent the fury of their enemies to burn them with fire, leaving them charred and broken. 
I, the Lord of heaven's armies, who planted this beautiful olive tree, Israel, have ordered it destroyed. Why? You remember I told you a few minutes ago, why am I doing this? What if we could see exactly what happened then that took them down so that we could see if that was here now? Same thing. I'm going to go back to verse 17. I, the Lord of heaven's armies who planted this olive tree, have ordered it destroyed for the people of Israel and Judah have done evil, arousing my anger by burning incense to Baal. There it is. I wonder right now, just pause, how many of you already see it? Some of you do. Do you? The first, chapter 7, do not pray warning from God to, to Jeremiah was revealed alongside the queen of heaven. Do you see it? The first do not pray warning was in chapter 7. In chapter 7, the queen of heaven was announced connected to the fall of Judah. And the second one, do not pray warning, reveals whom? Baal. He's connected. Two specific false gods are linked to the fall of the nation, Baal and the queen of heaven. Do not pray, for me, pray to me because you've been praying and living for them. Now let's step back from the story for a moment. The man's name is Jonathan Kahn. Many of you, I'm sure, have read some of his books. David Reagan, Dr. David Reagan, a man who I personally know and have great respect for, calls Jonathan Kahn an end times prophet. If you've ever read The Harbinger, it would be really difficult for you to disagree that Jonathan Kahn, a messianic Jew, is indeed a last days prophet of God. What he reveals, it has to be directly from God. Jonathan Kahn just recently released a book that I have read, which was part of this God Speaks Through Circumstances and the Word. Jonathan Kahn released a book called The Return of the Gods. And he, in that book, describes Baal as the God of fertility and prosperity. He, in that book, describes the Queen of Heaven. She was the God of insatiable sexual desire and boundless pride. Baal offered Israel prosperity and wealth. Have you ever read the Old Testament and noticed how many times these false gods appear? They're everywhere all the time. And that was always the battle between God and these false gods. God and these false gods. And Baal and um, the queen of heaven. But Baal specifically, he offered Israel what? Prosperity and wealth. But what about the queen of heaven? She's not as prominent in the Old Testament. The queen of heaven, according to Khan in his book, she is directly connected. She is the same person as the old name, which you probably have read about in ancient history, of the goddess called Ishtar. What's interesting about this queen of heaven, Ishtar, that she could change between male and female. She could be either or both, back and forth. Interesting. Baal 
and Ishtar. Some of you say, what does that have to do with us today? I'm going to ask you a question. Can America be compared to ancient Israel? Could the very thing that took down the nation of Judah be the very thing that is taking down our nation today? In Jonathan Kahn's book, he asked the question over and over and over, have the gods returned? Is that even possible? Let's see. So let's check something. Do you realize that at one time America sent more Bible preaching missionaries to the lost world than any nation on the earth? Let me put that in perspective. In the last 2,000 years, uh, since the time of Christ, and since the nation of America was founded by God, which he planted us, from the time that we, the, the American people, came on the scene, there is no time in human history that, that any nation sent out more missionaries with the gospel of Jesus Christ than this nation. And yet today, our nation is the number one promoter of pornography. Listen, listen carefully. Do, do you see where we were and where we are? Today, our nation is the number one worldwide promoter of pornography, and number two, and the number one worldwide promoter of this godless LBGT agenda that promotes boundless self-pride and believes a person can change between male and female. And I ask you a question, have the false gods of ancient Israel returned? And like Judah, America, Look how far we have fallen from the number one country that displays and promotes the gospel to the number one country that displays and promotes what? Pornography and LBGT to the world. Something's happened. Look at how far we have fallen. The book of Jeremiah mentions Baal 11 times. The book of Jeremiah mentions the queen of heaven five times. But there's a third character in this unholy, godless trinity. His name is Molech. His name is mentioned three times. Come on, preacher. Surely you don't think America's worshiping Baal, Molech, and Ishtar. Is that what your message is about? Listen carefully. Molech was the god of child sacrifice. Israel sacrificed their children to Molech. Why? To maintain their prosperity while they continue to satisfy their own sexual desires. The same nation that used to be America, the same nation that used to send up missionaries, now is the world's number one supporter and promoter of abortion. Marching in the streets today for the right of child sacrifice. No, no, preacher, America doesn't worship Moloch or Ishtar or Baal. What about Baal? Like Judah, look how far we have fallen. The same nation that used to send out life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ to the world now lives, and nobody wants to talk about it, now lives in idolatry, which is greed, and materialism. Do you know materialism is idolatry? Do you know where that came from in ancient Israel? It was underneath the 
false god called Baal. Materialism, worshiping the false god of prosperity. His name is Baal. Look how far we have fallen. The return of the gods. Is that possible? Baal, Molech, Ishtar, the queen of heaven. Have these ancient false gods that led Judah to destruction now come to destroy America and the rest of the world? Well, let's do some checking. Baal, he is the prosperity, fertility god of the Old Testament. He led many astray. So remember I said this whole thing started in Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 16 on a Wednesday night two years ago. Eight verses. Let's move up eight verses in that same scene and let's see what we find about this Baal. I'm I'm only in the context of do not pray for them anymore. Can you not see what they are doing? Let's just go up eight verses and see what the context of the do not pray is. Let's go to Jeremiah 7 verse 8 now. Don't be fooled into thinking that you will never suffer because the temple is here. Because see, Israel had this idea because the temple's here, no, no foreign king's going to be able to come in and, and burn us down because we got the temple, right? Don't be fooled into thinking you'll never suffer because the temple is here. It's a lie. Do you really think you can steal, you can murder, you can commit adultery, you can lie, and you can, here it comes, you can burn incense to Baal and those other new gods of yours? And then come in here and stand before me in my temple and chant, we are safe? Only to go right back and do those evil things again. If you go down eight verses, you will find the original application of do not pray for them, Jeremiah. Can you not see what they are doing? So what are they doing? They think they're safe because there's a temple, but it's a lie. What about Moloch? The God that required human child sacrifices to appease him, and he led many astray, Moloch. So let's go to Jeremiah. We're all in Jeremiah. Isn't it interesting? That the fall of this nation is connected to these false gods specifically. So let's go to Jeremiah 32, 35. It says, they have built pagan shrines to Baal. There he is again in the valley of Ben-Hanam. And there, Israel, they sacrificed their sons and daughters to Molech. Isn't it interesting? I have ne- God said to Jeremiah, I have never commanded such a horrible deed. It never even crossed my mind to command such a thing. What an incredible evil causing Judah to sin so greatly. But there's one more, Ishtar, or the queen of heaven, that was neither male nor female. He or she could be both or neither. Can you see it? Anybody, can you see it today? Jeremiah 7, 18. This is the original do not pray scripture from two years ago. I'm just going to read the 18th verse. God said to Jeremiah, no wonder I'm so angry. Watch how the children, notice, I don't want you to notice, there's children in this scene. Notice how the children gather wood And the fathers build sacrificial fires. See how the women knead dough and make cakes.
cakes to offer to the queen of heaven, and they pour out liquid offerings to their other idol gods, Baal, Molech, queen of heaven. Can you see the godless idolatry today? Maybe you don't want to. I don't think they wanted to see it then either. Can you see the godless, of, godless idolatry of Baal today through godless materialism? Materialism. It is the God of the American culture. Can you see it? It's the more and 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 the more. I want it. I want it. That seeks prosperity apart from God. What's the American dream? As I got more and more and more and more. I come in, I get more and more and more. But the problem is that always takes us away from God. And the idea of idolatry is that you can find your needs through the works of your own hands. Well, you say, well, we don't have golden calves. The golden calf was the work of their own hands. The golden calf didn't just appear. They formed it and shaped it, supplied it and built it and then bowed to it. So what are the works of your hands that take all of your time, all of your attention that stand between you and God? The prosperity apart from God. It's called idolatry. Can you see the godless idolatry of Moloch today? While people fight for the right to sacrifice their children on the altar of self, on the altar of prosperity. You know, I can't have another child because we can't afford it. It affects my prosperity. So I don't, I don't need anything affecting my prosperity, so we'll kill the child. And if that's not enough to convince you, listen, this entire LBGTQ movement is all based, it's called what? Pride. The exact opposite of what God says should be in the heart of those who follow him, which is humility. If you raise yourself up, I will put you down. But if you will put yourself down, I will raise you up. One more. And what's their banner? Their banner is this rainbow. Openly mocking God. Openly mocking his judgment. Mocking him. Baal. Molech. But there's another one, the queen of heaven. Can you see the idolatry of this queen of heaven today through this LBGT movement that denies male and female, promotes that people can choose whatever, whenever? Like ancient Judah, look at how far we have fallen. I'm going to ask you, do you think it's a coincidence that these three things, these three cultures have manifested themselves in our country, that our country now leads the world? Or is it just a marvelous coincidence? Do you think it's interesting? Because I do. That all three of those are directly linked to God telling Jeremiah, don't pray for them anymore. They've crossed the line. But there's one more, do not pray. I told you there were three. This is Jeremiah 14, 11, the third one. And then the Lord said to me, do not pray for these people anymore. And when they fast, I will pay no attention. And when they present their burnt offerings and grain offerings to me, I will not accept them. Instead, I will devour them with war, famine, and disease. 
And then I said, oh, sovereign Lord, their prophets are telling them all is well. No war or famine will come. The Lord will surely send us peace. Then the Lord said, these prophets are telling lies in my name. I did not send them or tell them to speak. I did not give them any message. They prophesy of visions and revelations they have never seen or heard. They speak foolishness made up by their own lying hearts. So let me, let's pull back from the story for a moment. And I'm going to ask you, how do you think the people of Judah took Jeremiah's sermon? Go, Jeremiah. No, I don't think so. If you read the rest of the story, they threw Jeremiah in jail. And eventually, let him down into a deep cistern with mud so deep that he sank down into the mud. And they left him there during the siege, hoping he would die. But none of them wanted to be directly responsible for killing him, just in case he's a prophet of God. Jeremiah, here's the part that, if it wasn't enough that shook me, this one shakes me and comforts me at the same time. Jeremiah preached, if you study the scripture, Jeremiah preached for what looks like 40 years. From the beginning to the end, it was repent, turn away from your idols, or God's judgment is coming. He preached to five different kings, from King Josiah all the way to the last king called Zedekiah. Five kings, 40 years, and destruction still came. But you know what? He kept preaching. To Zedekiah, he gives this word. Listen, this has implications to us today. To Zedekiah, he says, surrender and live. God cracked a door of mercy. Zedekiah, surrender and live. The nation will be destroyed, but you'll be alive. Deny or ignore the warning and you will die. That's the story of Jeremiah and the nation of Judah. God offered grace and mercy, how? Through surrender to the Babylonian invaders. In other words, God said, they're coming whether you like it or not. But I'll give you a way to live through it. Surrender and you can live. So what about today? Well, okay, great history lesson. What about today? Is it possible that the same salvation that God announced to Jeremiah and all of these pieces of the puzzle is exactly the same salvation today? Surrender and you can live. Surrender. What? What do you mean? Surrender to whom? Surrender to the only one that can save you from the coming judgment. Jesus. Surrender. If you don't surrender, I'm going to tell you, you don't want to hear this? I don't want to say it. But the truth is this. If you don't surrender to him, you have become his enemy. You are his enemy. And he will come to destroy you at some point. Deny or ignore today's warning and you will die. What warning? Listen, do you think this is just some Old Testament story that has been kind of cleverly connected to today's modern events? 
The question ultimately becomes this. How did we start today? Does God still speak? The church was supposed to be able to hear him when he did. My sheep know my voice and they follow me because they hear me. They know me. God speaks through his word. God speaks through circumstances. But you have to have ears to hear when the spirit speaks to you. Can you hear him today? Much of the church cannot hear him. You know why? You, no, you don't want to hear it, but here it is. Why does the church not hear it? Because the church is in idolatry. The church is worldly. It's worldly. It's, it's materialistic. It goes along with the culture. Rather than stand against the culture. This is not some wild Old Testament analogy. Let me prove it to you. The Apostle Paul in the church age in the New Testament writes a letter to Timothy. And then he tells Timothy what it's going to be like in the end. What's going to happen at the end? Here we go. 2 Timothy 3.1. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there's going to be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. There's Baal worship right there. That's in the New Testament. They love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud. Well, that be Ishtar and Molech. Scoffing at God, disobedient to the parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They'll slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and they'll hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride. And love pleasure rather than love God. It brought down a nation. It's still bringing down nations. It'll bring down a nation. You you love your pleasure more than you love your God. It's called idolatry. What is idolatry? Verse 5 kind of sums it all up. They will act religious in the last days. They'll act religious. But they will reject the power that could have made them godly. Stay away from people like that. What do you mean act religious? The the nation of Judah acted religious. Some translation says they'll have a form of godliness. They'll, They'll look godly in some ways. They went, Judah in the Old Testament, they went through all the godly rituals, right? They did animal sacrifices. They did offerings. They, they, they did something on the Sabbath. You know, they did the kind of going around through the motions thing, right? The nation of Judah had this glorious Jerusalem temple, but they did not know that God had departed from among them and that he was about to come and set it on fire. So here's the, here's the illustration of then and now. They had the temple, and they thought the temple would keep them safe. But the problem with the temple is that he wasn't in it. If you read the book of Ezekiel, God got up and left. So the temple that you thought would keep you safe was actually empty. Surrender, come out and surrender, and you can live. So what does that got to do with me today? Here it is. We are now the temple. And if he is in you, you are safe. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. So if this this message bothers you, then understand 
that this is the temple today. And if he comes and lives inside of your temple, you're safe. If God had still been in that temple in Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar would have never burned it down. Many people today act religious, but they reject the power that could have made them godly. The power that could have saved them from the coming wrath of God. The temple without the presence is just a building waiting to be burned. Do you understand? The temple. In that day it was a glorious building. It was about to be burned because the presence of God had departed. This temple without the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Christ. is just a building that will one day be burned. Many people today act religious, but they reject the very thing that would save them. Many today want Jesus as Savior, but they have no desire to make Him Lord or Master of their life, which is the denial of the power of Christ. What? Because ultimately, the Word of God says, you shall have no other gods before me. It's not negotiable. What is the power that makes us godly? What is it? The Holy Spirit, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And you know how, the, how a person receives the powerful Holy Spirit that makes us godly? How, how do we do it? We surrender. We surrender and live. We come out from behind those false God walls that you think are going to keep you safe from the coming wrath. Those false God walls that think are going to protect you from your life of sin, that are going to keep you out of death and keep you out of the grave. Maybe, what is that false God Savior of yours? Is it your 401k? You think, you're, you think the stock market's going to save you? Is it your money? Is it your bank? Is it your bunker? All the food supplies you've got set in that locked away room? You don't know how much ammo I got, preacher. He won't save you. Come out from behind the walls that you have erected around your life and surrender to the king that is marching toward your city. His name's Jesus. One last thought, and this one comes from the Apostle John in his first letter, which I'm going to deal with here in a few weeks if I ever be able to get back over there. And listen, I say this honestly, maybe this one from the New Testament church age, from the Apostle John, not Jeremiah, maybe this one will keep the church people from throwing me in a cistern after this event's over today. And here's why. 1 John 5, 16. If you see a Christian brother or sister sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray. Hallelujah. I say hallelujah. If you see a Christian brother or sister sinning in such a way that, leads, that does not lead to death, not every sin leads to death, that does not lead, you should pray. You should intercede. You should respond accordingly. And God will give that person life. Somebody say Hallelujah. Now, here comes the other part. But there is a sin that leads to death. 
And I am not saying you should pray for those who commit it. I'll get into that in detail in a few weeks when we hit chapter 5. There is a sin that crosses God's line. There is a life. And in ancient Judah, it was connected to idolatry. Baal, Molech, and the queen of heaven. Coincidence? I don't think so. All wicked actions, verse 17, are sin. But not every sin leads to death. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning. For God's son, here's, here's, here's Jesus in me. For God's son holds them securely and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are the children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one, the false gods. Two years ago this past Friday in a Wednesday night roots class, something happened that shook me and shakes me still. One month before the presidential election that has led us even to, even to more darkness than we were in two years ago. Something happened a month before and that election, how it turned out, has led us into more light or more darkness? More darkness. More, more, more. Darkness that I couldn't even have predicted. Much darker today. We have more materialism today, more Baal. We have more abortions today, more Moloch. And we have more LBGT, Ishtar, Queen of Heaven today. More, more, more. In fact, the federal government now is pushing people who oppose them to come over into the idolatry. Do not pray for them anymore, for I will not listen to your prayers. Can you not see what they're doing? And I'm going to ask you today, can you see it? And why did God reveal that to me again now? That's my question. I've asked him that multiple, why now? Why, why, did you, why are you doing this to me now? Why did he put it in my heart again now? There's another election coming in one month. All right, listen carefully. Do you think electing the right person is going to fix all this darkness? Then you have fallen into the same trap as Judah. You're looking for men to fix what only God can fix. Only God can fix it. Let me ask you, do you think, is, is Daniel, Noah, and Job on the ballot? Because God said, even if those three were there, none of those three could affect anybody but them, even if you voted for them. Do you really think I wanted to preach this sermon today? I tried multiple times to talk myself out of it. Do you think Jeremiah wanted to preach that sermon in his day? Something's coming. I don't know the timing. I don't know the detail. But something's coming. Jeremiah preached to five different kings over 40 years. I was trying to figure out how many presidents I've talked to over the period of 22 years I've been here. Is anything going to stop what God has planned? 
have the false gods that destroyed Israel return to destroy us? Or is this just the most amazing coincidence you have ever saw in your life? Two years later, I told you all this began two years ago. Two years later, the Baal stock market is crashing. Two years later, Molech child sacrifice is now come in pill form. You don't have to go to a clinic. Get online, type a few buttons, the pill will come to your house. In two days, your baby's dead. In the state of Kentucky, they've made it illegal. Doesn't matter. They'll ship the pills inside your state. Two years later, the queen of heaven, Ishtar, is mutilating children's bodies in hospitals all over America, mutilating children's bodies, surgically removing parts of children's bodies for freedom and pride. And what frightens me is many people still in the church, you still don't get it. You still don't see the spirit war. Something's coming. But here's the good news. God's mercy always sends a warning. God's mercy always sends a Jeremiah. God's mercy sends a watchman. Jeremiah even went so far as to say to the Lord regarding this horrible assignment. He, he got this horrible assignment from God. These, this horrible sermon that nobody wants to preach. Stop praying. And here's what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah 20 verse 7. Oh Lord, you misled me. And I allowed myself to be misled. You are stronger than I am. And you overpowered me. Now I am mocked every day. Do you feel like Jeremiah? This is his life. Now he's preached for 40 years the same message that nobody wanted to hear. Now I'm mocked every day. Everyone laughs at me. And when I speak, the words burst out. Violence and destruction are coming. That's Jeremiah again. Get him out of here. I shout. So these messages from the Lord have made me a household joke. But if I say I will never mention the Lord, <laughs> but if I say I will never mention the Lord or speak in his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I am worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. What do you think's coming? That'd be a wonderful question to get your feedback on right now. What do you think's coming? Because ultimately, I'm going to ask you again one more time. This whole thing began with, do you believe God still speaks to his people? The book of Hebrews says that in the past, in the Old Testament, God spoke to the prophet, prophets in various ways, in various times. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. His son is the word. And is his son still communicating with the church? And do you have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today? That October 2020 word from God came about six months into a worldwide pandemic. And now two years later, the whole world's on fire. The foundations are collapsing around us. Hyperinflation, supply chain issues, Russia, Ukraine, North Korea, nuclear threats. And I just read, what, two days ago that our government has bought up the entire national supply of medicine for radiation sickness. 
which makes you wonder if they know something nuclear is about to happen. Do you think I made that up? Is it too late for the nation? Is it too late for the world? Is it too late for a revival? Or are we past the point of no return? I don't know. I can tell you this, if you think this sermon means I'm quitting, I'm not quitting. I'm just incredibly focused. I'm keeping my eyes on the true king and keeping my heart far away from idols and false gods, knowing this, that Molech, Ishtar, Baal, ultimately are under the authority of the greatest deceiver named Satan. And he's good at it. And he can take down a person, he can take down a family, he can take down a nation. But only if you believe the lie. I'm not quitting, I'm not giving up. I'm going to vote in November. And I'm going to openly campaign for the Kentucky Constitutional Amendment that would outlaw Molech worship, child sacrifice in this state. Our Savior is not coming out of Washington. Our Savior is coming out of heaven. Do not get the two confused. I'm going to keep preaching the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ to all who will listen. And what about our nation? I know people, when they hear this, they're going to say, what about our nation? Is it too late? Have we passed the point of no return? Can there still be a national revival? Is America finished? No one knows for sure. I have a very strong opinion, but I don't know for sure what God will do in the spirit war. But I do know this. Listen, it is not too late for individuals. Revival's not coming out of Washington, D.C. Revival will come out of individual hearts that have been confronted by the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. You can, right now, you can still come out from behind those walls that you think will keep you safe and give, you, give yourself over to the one, the King, Jesus. Or you can throw me in a cistern. And even if you throw me in the cistern, one day God will lift me out of that cistern and give me freedom in a place called the promised land. Because that's how Jeremiah's story ends. The Babylonian king set him free inside the promised land, while the rest of the people who ignored the warning were force marched off to Babylon as slaves, where most of them would die there. I end today where I started. What if there was a nation that once had its house filled with light? And then that nation forced the light to get out and only left it empty. Jesus tells the parable that in that circumstance, that demon needs a host. And that demon goes and finds seven other demons far worse than the first one and comes back and the end is worse than the beginning because now there's eight demons, eight demonic false gods in that person. He's worse than he was in the beginning. What if that applied to a nation? I'll ask Chad, come on out. So here comes the last big think very deeply question. And this came from this recent issue in the school system with the LBGT and the school teacher and all that that's happening. I'm going to ask you a question. What if that is God's judgment? 
If you read Romans chapter 1, there's this judgment of abandonment. That God will abandon you to your own lust, your own desire. That if you ask him to leave, you fall into idolatry, you worship the, the false gods of this world, that he will just turn you loose. And that becomes his judgment. His judgment is that he abandons you. And I ask you a question. What if what's happening in our, it's now in our local schools. We were just protected for so long. What if all of this stuff that's happening, it is his judgment? Do not pray for them anymore. Just be careful how you respond to something that God might have been the one who initiated in the very beginning. Just be careful that we don't end up trying to stop that which God himself has started. Be careful how you pray. So here's what we're going to do. They're going to sing a song, and we're going to open the altar, and we're going to open invitation. And I don't have any idea what the Holy Spirit's going to do in your heart today. But we offer a chance for you to have ears to hear and respond to this word today. If the Holy Spirit's doing anything, I challenge you to come up, talk to somebody. Say yes, Lord. Let's stand. The invitation's open.